Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Stromsky, where every week I host a new guest with unique professions, personal adversity, or even maybe a strong opinion or two. And if you haven't hit the five stars review on Apple Podcasts, please hit it now before you forget. Running a podcast is a surprising amount of work, and more reviews converts into a wider range of future guests. This week, we have the privilege of welcoming Cranston Giddens, a true force of change and education. Hailing from New York, Cranston's journey is a testament to the power of resilience. Born on Long Island to immigrant parents from Guyana, he learned early that education held the key to a brighter future. Against the grain, Cranston forged his own path, eventually becoming a dedicated teacher in Washington, D.C., striving to level the playing field for minority students. His mission? To challenge stereotypes and inspire authenticity. We talk about all his personal journeys, uh, what it took to really kick him into gear, and enjoy. But you're, from when I looked at your... This confused me, and I assume you get some confusion with this. You work at St. John's College High School, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a that's a college, right? It's like um, it's like a prep Catholic military. Uh, <laughs> private- yeah. I like that. It's got it's got all the flavors. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's got the seasoning and the sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's got it. It's like. Let's let's make a let's make a school that has everything. Let's let's throw the military in there. Let's throw some Catholicism, uh, and uh, let's confuse people. Let's say it's a college and a high school at the same time, and make right. it private. Charge whatever we want. We've got all these labels to it. <laughs> um, no, but that's great. What what drew you to DC? Um, I really just got too tired of being content of who I was when I was living in Tampa. Okay. And what I'm kind of explain what that vibe is like then. Well, I was working at a public school, uh, strawberry crest, which is really good IB school. And you know, it was what's an IB school. I'm sorry. I I don't know what that is. um, An IB school is an international baccalaureate. So when the students graduate, they start their college year as a sophomore. Okay. Yeah. So they take like college credit. Yeah. They they take all college credit, like all college credits while they're in high school. It's a tough program. Have you heard of, uh, I didn't do this. Like in Maryland, this stuff doesn't really exist to us. But in Virginia, I went to uh, Virginia Tech. And so the a lot of people that I went to school with, they went to a thing called congressional school, which is sort of what you're talking about. Like they would go to school during the summer. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like taking APs, but they would intentionally go during the summer and they would get basically they would start their they would start their, uh, you know, what you just said, sophomore year, um, because they would have a whole year of school already done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But uh, sorry, keep going about the school. I'm sorry I interrupted. Oh, no, you're fine. And so they they end up. Um, so it was it was a nice school. And then I got teacher of the year in 2018. 
right? 2018, I got school, a teacher of the year, or 2007, like 2017, maybe. And um, yeah, no, it was 2018, yeah. And I just, at that point in my life, and I was, I was a wrestling coach, I was a head wrestling coach for about eight years, had two state champions. Um, you know, we want, we, my Strawberry Crest ended up winning districts multiple times. We were placing at regionals. Everything was great. I bought a house. Um, but I was just this guy that I felt like I was kind of going with the motions a little bit. And I just thought that maybe if I tried something different that I would be happier. So I just got tired of just be just living that teacher life out in the rural and I would look around me and I would see people that were way older than me doing the same thing that I was doing. And I pretty much just told myself, I need to change something. So I took the globe and I just kind of spinned it and I landed on DC. You landed on DC. What what are the odds of that? No. <laughs> But I have friends up here too, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> so no, that's good. They were like, "Man, you should come out to DC and just try it out." And they were trying so hard, and I, I was, you know, I was either going to go to New York or Miami or somewhere, and I was like, "I'll try out DC." So I moved to DC, and at the time, I was living in DC. So, so that worked out because I mean, you used to be a uh, what's. You used to work for, you were a wrestling coach for, I forget what college, I'm sorry. I, I looked last week. What You worked somewhere else before where you worked right now, right? Yeah, so I worked at a, at a high school called Armwood before Strawberry Crest, which was right down the street. Completely different cultures, though. Crazy. Jerry oh, Man no, I meant in D.C., I'm sorry. Uh, oh, in D.C. Um, I worked at a school called uh, Wilson High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. but no, maybe I that was work, a. But I mean, I'm I'm in college now again. <laughs> Don't you love it when you think you're out, you're back in? Right. I know it's crazy. So let's let's talk more about the topic, or I guess your perspective, which is the the main reason that kind of pulled me in. Mm -hmm. uh, like your book, we we can even elaborate on that. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the premise of the book, and then we can kind of dive into some of the perspectives in there. Okay. So the book focuses on the ideology of the American dream and how, because I wrote the book during COVID. Now, this is all during protests, riots. Um, what's the, what's that other group? Uh, and was it Antiva? <laughs> yeah, Antifa, I think it's yeah. called. What right. is, I don't even know what is. This is going to sound really ignorant, and I'll probably edit this out. Is that a white or a black group? I I don't follow the news whatsoever. That's that's the thing is that it's just a group of people who just are just rebelling against you know I guess society and how things are. Uh, okay. Right, and then um, but. I was kind of looking at this and just seeing the divide of the country was just really bad. Like it's, it's no longer uh, like cool to be in the middle um, when it comes to politics, when it comes to race, when it comes to culture, it's like a group of like extremists was 
they were able to just lash out. And uh, it was just very interesting. So I was like, you know, and, and, and it was during COVID. So I was like, when I get out of this, I have to create something that's going to make people just think about what it was like to be alive in the 90s again. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, so I remember growing up. I mean, even at, I, my parents are 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 immigrants. So one thing that my parents or that my mom taught me was that it's okay to believe in the idea that the American dream exists, even when you're black. But to have this idea, what was, I guess, what baffled me is that if you're black and you believe in the American dream then you get ostracized by society. You get called these different types of stereotypes. You get called names. And it's just very interesting because you sit there and I'm like, no, I just, my parents are immigrants. They told me about what the American dream is as far as striving, but being a minority and, and, and having an American dream, they label you. Mm -hmm. And so you get called like whitewashed, you get called an Oreo, you get called a token. And that's what I've, and it's crazy because when I think about the stereotype, when I first heard it, I was actually really little, I was really small. And it was something that pretty much stuck with me. Uh, They're like, oh, you know, CJ, like he hangs out with kind of everybody. He's like the Oreo, right? Or like, he's the token. I mean, even when I went to like parties, I felt like I was like the character, the character token from South Park. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, isn't there like a couple of movies that make fun of that too? It's like uh, not another teen movie, and right. I don't know, just like all because in the obviously in the nineties they it was like they had a bunch of white people in the cast, even if it was a horror movie or it was a you know, not, is there many rom coms or coming of age flick? You know, like uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, or right. they had like a whole white cast maybe an Asian person and then one black person. That right. was usually what it was. Right. And yeah. so it was just interesting because I was able to have a good reputation with all of that at the same time, but it was very bothering to understand that in certain, in certain situations, some people felt privileged enough, even when they weren't black to call me a stereotype. And just quick question, just because, you know, uh, well, you know, being in D.C., or at least you sh should know by now, it's like very diverse. So where I grew up right outside of D.C., uh, you've got all these different families. But what I learned is like keeping the culture. Did Which way did you lean with that? And which way did your parents lean with that culturally wise? Because you, they said to embrace the culture. Did you feel like you were comfortable with embracing uh, your parents' culture from where they were from? At first, it started off as a joke. So mm -hmm. my dad, for example, like, so both my parents came here from, from Guyana, but not together. They were both married to other people, but they knew each other when they were little. Uh, but they, they hold the Guyanese culture that like the South American Guyanese culture is very strict. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but when I was born, I'm the last born child of my siblings, but when I was born, um, you know, my dad left at a really early age and my mom started dating 
like this white guy, like this Polish guy, and he was a teacher. He was also our wrestling coach. <laughs> yeah. And um just just by I mean, even in like the first chapter of my book, that's like the very first thing that I talked about because I was very little when I met him. I was probably like three or four, maybe. Okay. Very little. Um, but I always remembered him just being around and when he used to stay with us, my mom would teach him like the Guyanese culture. And then he would tell her like, Lorraine, like, I love the Guyanese culture, all that too, but you also got to teach your son that, you know, he's like, he's a U.S. citizen. <laughs> and she would like laugh about it. And she'd be like, whatever, or whatnot. And so just growing up, whenever I, whenever it was just me and him, he's like, hey, he's like, don't ever, don't ever let anybody treat you different. He's like, you're just like everybody else who's, you know, born here or whatnot, because people are going to try to stereotype you. He's like, you're very proper. And he like knew this at a young age of like, just who, like by mannerisms, things like that. So growing up that way, I was very proud of just who I was in general. I didn't, I'd be very proud that I was black. I was proud that I, that I was American. I was proud that I was Guyanese. And so like, they just kept teaching this pride just within yourself and just and and to embrace it and so yeah i think that growing up i was i was proud of everything and so today my friends make fun of me just a little bit about like how proud i actually am <laughs> but i love it it's great right oh like, that's good so yeah. a little about your childhood because you said at an early age like people were stereotyping you so what and i mean obviously Everyone says high school is horrible, or at least the movies, the media, or at least when in the 90s. But I always thought middle school was the worst. Um, what like what was it like for you in middle school and high school to that effect? Um, it was interesting because it would come off as like I remember just because of, because because my because my mom learned like the British system when it came to um, just like English and math and just like etiquette, right? Like we grew up with learning how to have a conversation like at the table. Mm -hmm. And so I would, so these mannerisms would come out while I was in school. And so a lot of the students were, they would, or a lot of my friends or my peers would be like, man, CJ, like, why are you so proper all the time? Like, why can do you, you talk? Can you, can you give me an example? Uh, yeah, sure. So I would, I would learn how to code switch. So when I was at school, first of all, I wasn't allowed to wear like jeans until I got into middle school anyway. So I wore khakis every day. My mom put me in like carnigans. Like we were poor too. It wasn't even like that we were rich, but we like gave off this, persona of like we were very proper because we were because we were Guyanese right mm -hmm. <laughs> so when I was in school I sat in the front I always raised my hand and I wasn't the smartest kid at all but if my my mom would always tell me like if you put the effort in then like you could go a long way so I was like okay and so um I would I would speak to my teachers as if like I was like at a job interview <laughs> Like, you know, I'm like, um, I guess, 
even just my etiquette skills and like speeching, I'm like, hello, my name is Cranston and my goals in life is to be a doctor. <laughs> and my black friends would look at me like, yo, <laughs> homeboy, homeboy is code switching. <laughs> and I had no idea. Like, but when I was hanging out with my friends, my black friends, it was easier, right? And so sometimes they would be embarrassed, like, hey, CJ, like when we go to like Gordon Heights, which was in Long Island, they're like, you gotta like wear like my jeans, like you know, I- I'm gonna give you like a tall tee, and like just don't. You're gonna speak. look like a more like a Mormon. Uh, what do they call those? Uh... An urban legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So I was like, all right, and it was easy. I was, it was, it was, it was really easy for me. And so, kind of just growing up, I, I had to accept it. And so, it's kind of what it was for a little bit. You know. So, and I know that you, I guess, a little bit after you moved down to Florida, was, was that the same? Um, so no, because what ended up happening was I, so like I said, all my siblings are older than I am. Um, and I started to retaliate. I started to retaliate to post switching. I started to retaliate to being proper all the time. And I just straight up like was fit was just failing school and so there was a period of time where i i I stopped going and i was in 10th grade and i got a job i was working for like newsday which was like a newspaper company just rolling up papers throwing them in i'm now 16 and i would ride my bike there and like my mom would think that i was going to school and i it was so easy to finagle because she worked two jobs and I was home by myself all the time. Like I, I was the latchkey kid because my sister went to college. She, she ended up moving down to Florida. My brothers, they were older. You know, my brother Lennox was in college. My brother Vaughn was, he didn't go to college, but he was like working a job. So it was just really just me. And um, when the school called my mom and they were like, hey, like CJ hasn't been coming into school and he's completely failing. My mom was like, that's it. She's like, you kicked out. And so, you know, she she packed my stuff and then she sent me down to Tampa to go live with my sister. And my sister was was a teacher. So I went to so I went to Riverview and that was the school that she was teaching at. And it was like eyes on me. <laughs> so I had to straighten up real quick. So was but, it like night and day with those oh, two? Uh... Yeah, like I, I I continued wrestling, which ended up saving my life. Um you know, I ended up, they were on block scheduling, which in New York, they weren't on block scheduling at the school that, that I was at. So I was able to like make up some classes and somehow, some way, senior year, I got a phone call from Campbell University and they were like, we want you to come up and wrestle and try to get a degree and we'll pay for some. And I was like, all right, I can do that. Pay for some. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So what would you say... I guess it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Um, the atmosphere, I guess, has changed to you becoming more of an adult, like after college, like, I, I know you say that your friends are making fun of you because of your, your Guyanese pride, but anything with not being the right type of black is that still holds over you with your friends or even your daily life? 
Yeah, it does. And it's it's affected it plenty of times in my adult life. Like where I, where I, where I used to work at Wilson or where I used to work at um, the high school when I first came, I, I felt like that there were, that, that there were some, like even some of my students would kind of look at me and they was like, but you're not from here. I'm like, no, I'm not from here. Like I, I get it. Like I don't act like a DC native and you know, DC was known as chocolate city back in the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, you know, the way I speak, like, like the way I walk, the way I talk, like, they're like, man, he's not from here. And I even think to a certain extent, like some of my former coworkers probably did not think that I was black enough for the school that I was working for. So I'm a man of, okay, well, let me try one environment and then let me try another environment. And so the school that I work at now it's it's very diverse but just like we said earlier like it's catholic military private it's got all the flavors so there there aren't a lot of minority teachers there there's a good equal of minority students i mean you know sports things like that mm-hmm. you know stereotypes that minorities are tied to but at the same time um i think i get a little bit more of a respect at the school that i work at now and I think it's because, to a certain extent, my coworkers don't really like care what cut. Co- well, they care. I, so I, I guess that's what it is. That they probably care about my culture, my background, my skin color, and how it's influencing other students at this school. Okay. And do you feel like I? This is not me poo-pooing on Florida, but nope. do you think, obviously, with DC? being, you know, diplomats, uh, you know, like the political hub of some say the free world. So there's every type of color, religion, race, as opposed to where you were at in Florida, like Tampa. Do you feel like that's kind of the reason why? I I think it's, yes, looking at it from a historical lens, I think that time you can't change the situations that you that one was into because of the time period in which they're in right like back in 2005 and 2004 there was no such thing as black lives matter right so i can't be like comment on something like that but i will say when it came to living in florida in that time i think it was a different kind of racism it was it was a little bit more like sometimes uh my classmates would say some jokes about black people or they would say derogatory comments about black people but it was very rough and raw and then as time has been progressing i now living in dc I think racism has changed where it's more of a covert situation where mm. it's as obvious, but it's more backpedal. So they will, if someone's being racist towards someone, it wouldn't be straightforward in their face. It would be more like, how can I make you feel as if that, you know, you're not that, that you are still a second class citizen. Mm-hmm. It's right. more like a, a passive aggressive, not on paper, right. not recording, 
type situation where it could lead back to them. That's exactly. kind of the vibe. And being in, in D.C., D.C. is a very elitist type city, right? Like, you know, every everyone's trying to get on the top of the pedestal. So, um, yeah, I think that it has changed. But even within the Black culture itself, uh, if you're not acting the part, then that is, it's more of like bigotry has mm -hmm. been exposed uh, to a very far extent to where people, even of my own color, will do things worse than people who are not my color. So speaking from that opinion, does that make you, does that feel worse? Yeah, it does. Because it's like, it's personal. Well, not yeah, personal. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to understand each other because we probably have gone through the same experiences. But this whole I this whole idea of the crab in the bucket, yeah, that's not that's not my that's not my my go. I rather honestly, I rather be I rather know that someone's being straight up disrespectful and derogatory towards me so I know not to talk to them. Yeah. Than someone, you know, kind of do it in this passive aggressive way. Because yeah. I'm trying to guess it, right? And I'm not trying to guess. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. Because it, I, I mean, obviously, I can't speak from that point of view, but it's either if it's ignorance or stupidity or just just being plain, not racist, but prejudice or some, just tell me which one you are. Right. Right. But. So, I don't know. That was kind of the whole ordeal. And, um, you know, and so I, I think I think in DC you kind of see it on both ends uh, to a certain extent, you know. But uh, okay, and I guess in this path, obviously you me mentioned. Uh, I I don't know. Did your mom marry the Polish guy? I was going to say dad, but I didn't want to make a presumption. No, she never married him. Actually, okay, she, okay. Way like last year. Oh, okay. Uh, what I was going to say is, there anyone that kind of helped you out and just going from your background it's so funny you're like you just bounce back back and forth because you started in long island however your parents immigrated here so you've got the strong guyanese background and then you came down to florida and then you came back to dc is that <laughs> is it did i get everything right yeah okay it and i i'm i'm amazed because you've probably heard all these very different dialects especially from long island yeah. then back to florida then which florida's <laughs> more actually I, I i can't tell a florida accent but you probably can <laughs> florida's a mixture it's a mixture of a new york and southern accent <laughs> yeah because you've got like well tampa's nowhere near alabama but you've got like that florida van uh like uh panhandle yeah. type type vibe but right. uh is there any specific individuals in your life that kind of not helped you out, but kind of you looked on to kind of help you with this divide on which community, like one of the biggest things from your book, uh, you didn't feel like you belonged to the black community and you didn't feel like you belonged to the white community. Was there anyone that was helpful in that endeavor? Uh, you mean like other than Ed and my mom? Yeah. Anybody else, like a teacher or like uh, even a wrestling coach? Yeah, I did. When I, you know, what's crazy is that when I moved down to Florida, that was probably the most attention that I've ever gotten in my entire life. 
And uh, well, that's that's great. I mean, after you left the uh, newspapers in Long Island, like, <laughs> yeah, and my 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 head wrestling coach, uh, my head high school wrestling coach, and his assistant, it was uh, Coach Sar Gable and Coach Edwards. They they like, I mean, he would say it all the time. Like, he's like, you know, the, the one thing that people will value for you know, not profit of, but like value for is like your character. Like you got good character, then people will like you no matter what you look like, who you are. And I, I and I felt that that resonated and um that, that like meant something to me. In my mind, like I would I would look up to Coach Sargent. I mean he had one leg, he was a state champion, he was from New Jersey, you know, he went to college and wrestled, you know, came down to back down to Florida to help his community, like had like a whole or has like a wholesome family. And when I looked at his life out of all the people, I was like, I kind of want my life to look like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, th I think definitely my high school coach. Um, and then when I got to college, I would say there were, I had a professor, uh, Dr. Martin and he was from Long Island as well, moved down to North Carolina. You know, he was a history teacher he, and I, I took him so many times and he was old. He's way older than, I mean, he's like, he's older, <laughs> <laughs> so he's very wise. Um, but yeah, I, look, I, I looked up to him like, like a dad almost because my dad wasn't around. So these male figures that just kept popping in my life for you know, periods of time, I think shaped me for who I am. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like obviously you had a vacuum and you were looking for that male figure. Yeah. And now it makes total sense. Yeah. But I, I guess kind of flipping it, do you have any advice for, obviously you have such a unique situation, but maybe individuals who find themselves in similar situations feeling like they don't fully belong to any community? Do you have any like tips? I would say that my advice would be to keep life's course, right? Um, we can't act a certain color. That's impossible. A, col a, a particular color is, it's not like tangible, right? You can't like you can't act like it. So you can only act as as yourself, whatever it may be. And there are so many people that I understand code switching. Like that's totally fine to like adapt to your environment. But at the end of the day, even going through code switching, one should not change who they truly are. You know, uh, you know, with themselves in regard to you know the friends that they pick. Like you have total choice in that. Um, we can't pick our family. I get that, but I guess you can choose who you talk to, who you don't talk to, um, and just keep its course to, and, and, and believe that the American dream does really exist. I mean, I, I truly believe that it does. I, my life was not perfect, but at the same time, would I change everything and every situation? Absolutely not. Um, I think that I have, that I got a lesson as I get older, and I'm still learning lessons as I get older, right? Uh, and, and I'm only 35. So yeah, I think that uh, don't hide who you are because society said so.
Yeah, I like that. Right. If society doesn't like it, well, guess what? They're going to have to get used to it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's... <laughs> oh, that's, good. that's good. I like that. Is mm-hmm. is is something like that? Uh, I, I didn't get to read the whole thing, but is that like one of your closers in your book? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So let's go with the closing question. What is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to a next generation? And what is something that you might do new or uh, something that you would kind of do a little bit differently than your parents? Okay. Um, so one thing that my parents gave me that I would like to pass to the next generation would be opportunity. I mean, they came from a country that is, I mean, they, those, like the Guyanese people struggle, uh, in many situations in terms of poverty and just trying to make things work. And the fact that my parents decided that they were going to look for a better opportunity and the way that they did it, right? Like, you know, making sure that they, you know, went to school and education was important. Um, I think that I would like to pass that on to the next generation is like, take every opportunity that you can um, because you don't know what you can do unless you try it, right? Like, Like, it's not called failure unless you've tried it. And so how would you know what you would want to do if you don't try things out? And it might just be that out of all of those tries, you might find something that you're truly passionate about. And like I said, I wanted to be like a doctor growing up, like my whole life. Like, oh, what do you want to be? A doctor. It's like, oh, okay. And then I went to You have the khakis for it. Right. I have the khakis, right? (laughs) And then I went to school and I was like, um... No, I can't do this. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know, so I tried out different things. And, you know, I I took one little elective in college, and it was called, like, the intro to education. And I was like, I'll try it. And I went on, like, this field study, and I got to talk to other or teach other high school, like, students. And I was, I was like, I got collaborated with, like, a senior history class, and I loved it. It was great. Like the kids, I I was like, you know, I'm not that far from age. So I know some of you guys are probably thinking this, or you're thinking that. And for some reason, they just listened. Like they just listened. And also, even though that kids like, even though that kids can judge, you know, when they see their teacher, I mean, we all did it, right? But at least they have an excuse. Like they're the younger generation and they're still learning. So if you give them a good example, of like, for example, like, this is who I am as a black man. And this is what I believe in, in regard to like equality in society. And I, and I don't, I don't act like everyone else. Right. And there's a lot of you in here that don't act like everyone else because you're an individual, just like everybody else. So my mom kind of taught me that. And she was like, you know, don't worry about what people have to say, just go and do it. And so that's that. So that would be what I would want to pass on is, you know, don't quit. Right. Like keep trying until you find what, what you want. I like that. Yeah. Anything you want to change or add? Something that my parents would do. 
Yeah, maybe something that they wouldn't have necessarily done, something new or something that you would have taken away that. Um, maybe I I would say the connection of like understanding the younger generation. Like things were strict growing up, and I know I did fall off course for a little bit, but. I was still polite. I was still respectful, you know, things like that. Um, so one thing that I would probably change is like spending more free time uh, with like the, your kids, you know, um, making sure that like it's important to have a wholesome family. And I know that that's not perfect. Like that's you know, people think of like a perfect. There's no such thing as like a perfect family, but you can try. <laughs> yeah. I wondered what it felt like to uh, go to a baseball game with like both my mom and my dad. I've never experienced that. Or like, I wonder what it's like to go to dinner with like my mom and dad. I've never experienced that either. And obviously, would that be something that you would try to accomplish? Like if you had a family? Yeah, absolutely. Like that family time where you sit around the table and like you talk about like the day. Yeah. I, I try to do that now. My son doesn't really speak. So you get like one word answers like or you don't get answers at all, even though he can talk now. And he's just like and when I say talk, I mean like three word answers like. Right. Like the only real way I can talk to him is like a, I like antagonize him and tell him that like a T-Rex is a, a herbivore. He's like, no, 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 idiot. But yeah, thank you very much for uh, taking your time out. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And I hope you enjoyed it. I, oh, that's so like fun. the one thing I get a uh, get across. And I always learn something and I got your perspective, which is awesome. Right. Thank but you, uh, thank you again. Yeah. Have a good night. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.